chapter 10. The angel, the witness, and the seventh trumpet. This is chapter 10 through chapter 11. This section, there is a second aside in Revelation. So now we're between trumpet 6 and trumpet 7. So we have another aside. is placed between these two. This section is a recapitulation of the previous events, which focuses on the lives of the believers in the midst of persecution on earth between the first and second coming of Christ. The announcement of a mighty angel and the two witnesses seem like they're two separate events. So we're going to get a mighty angel with a little scroll, and then we're going to learn about two witnesses. And it might feel like they're completely different events, but they're not. They should be grouped together. I mean, they kind of are two events, but they're not disembodied from each other. Like, hey, we have an event here, and then completely different than that, we have something else here. They're connected. How are they connected? First, there is nothing to suggest that a new unit or material is being introduced when we go from chapter 10 to chapter 11. Second, the location is still on earth. John plays an active role in both events rather than being a passive observer. Now, this is unique. For the first time, John's going to actually actively participate in events. This is one of the very few times that he actively does things in the events, and it happens in chapter 11 and 12 which links these two things together. Third, the language of peoples, nations, languages, and rulers is used in both events, tying these together. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another powerful angel descending from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like pillars of fire, and he held in his hand a little scroll that was open, and he put his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. It says another powerful, or some of your translations say mighty, the Hebrew or the Greek is mighty angel, comes down. Some believe that this is Jesus. He's displayed as this cosmic-like angelic being. He's described as looking like Jesus with a halo over his head, wrapped in white clothing. He thunders and he's got a scroll in his hand like Jesus. And they see Jesus in this. I do not believe so. I do not think this is Jesus. One, as we previously explained, when Jesus shows up, it's obvious. This is way too vague for the second member of the Trinity to be showing up and, and for Christians to be debating whether this is Jesus or not. Second, nowhere in the Bible is Jesus ever described as or called an angel. Nowhere is Jesus ever called an angel in the Bible. In fact, when you get to Hebrews chapter 1, 2, and going into 3, the, bio, the author goes out of his way to say that Jesus is not an angel. He is not an angel. He's, he, make, he gives all these points, two really long chapters, quoting First Testament passages, making the point that Jesus is not an angel, and not only is he not an angel, he is superior to the angels in every single way. And it would be absolutely contradictory and confusing for God to turn around and say, Jesus is an angel. God is the master communicator. And when he defines things very clearly, he does not redefine them on us. This, for me, is the biggest argument of why he's not an angel. Third, the angel is called another angel, meaning he's connecting him to the previous angels where Christ is never connected to the angels in any kind of way. By calling him another angel, it's making the point that this is an angel. 
Fourth, Revelation chapter 10, 6 through 7 is not the language of Jesus. This angel will swear an oath in the name of God. That is not how Jesus talks. He does not swear an oath in the name of God. He is the word. He doesn't have to do that. It is not uncommon for angels to actually be described this way in the Bible, to be dressed in white, to have halos, to be having thunderous voices. We have seen this over and over again in the Bible. Now, you would say, yes, it's still very similar to Jesus. And my guess is this. This angel is such a high-ranking angel. It's called a mighty angel. We only see this a few number of times in the Bible, in Revelation. He is so high-ranking and so intimately and geographically and relationally in space connected to Christ and the Trinity that he has begun to reflect and characterize, look like God. We are told to look like Christ, to be Christ-like, that we are going to... The whole idea is that we should look more and more like Christ as much as possible. The image of God means to reflect God. And probably the idea here is that this is such a holy angel that is in such intimate relationship with Christ that he is actually demonstrating many of the same qualities and appearances as Christ. Yet when Christ shows up, you know it. You know it. This mighty angel came from heaven and not the abyss. This is important. It's coming not up out of the abyss, but from heaven. So this is definitely an angelic being. He then puts one foot in the sea, one foot in the land, and he's got his head in the clouds, so to speak. And I don't mean that in the typical way. And the idea is that the the ancients viewed the world as a three-tier system. The sky, the earth, and the sea. He is connecting all three of these tiers together to proclaim a message from God. And the idea is that this is going to go into all the sky, all the sea, and all the earth. It's going to reap this announcement. And he's wrapped in the clouds, which gives him a a divine kind of nature. His legs were like pillars of fire. We've seen angels that are in fire like this. This means judgment. He held in his hand a little scroll. This is not the scroll that we saw earlier. First, it's said to be a little scroll. You can't have the scroll and a little scroll and say they're the same. The minute you say little scroll, you're implying that this is a different scroll. Second, it's being held in the hand of an angel, not Jesus. No one was worthy to take the scroll except for Jesus. So this has to be a different one. Likewise, it's very difficult to understand that Jesus is up there breaking seals because he still would have to have the seal because the trumpets are in the seal. And yet the same time the angel has this. And at the end of this, John's going to eat it. And I really highly doubt that God is going to give the title deed of the earth to John to eat. This is not the scroll. This is a different scroll um, than the scroll with the seven seals. And he shouted in a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he shouted, the seven thunders sounded their voices. What are these seven thunders? I don't know. They could be seven other angels shouting. Angels have the roar of lions and thunder. It could be that seven is completion of the voice of God, that God's voice is speaking, because he's often said to speak with a thunderous voice. And this seven thunders, meaning that it is complete, that God's voice, this announcement is ultimate. When the seven thunders spoke, I was preparing to write down. Just then I heard a voice from the heavens say, seal up what the seven thunders spoke and do not write down. They get to this part of Revelation, God says, no, 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 don't write that one down. I don't want anybody to know that part of the message. What this means is God reserves the right to reveal to us whatever he wants. 
is his divine prerogative. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by the one who lives forever and ever who created heaven and what is in it. And we go back to the swearing. Um, Hebrews tells us that because there was nothing greater than God, he had to swear by himself on his own name. There is nothing greater than Jesus. There's no reason for him to be swearing, take an oath like this. We've never seen this in the Bible. And earth and the sea and that what is in it. There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God is completed, just as he has proclaimed to his servants and the prophets. Then the voice I heard from heaven began to speak to me again. So this angel is announcing there's no more delay. Meaning we're getting closer to the end of God's judgment and the second coming of Christ. And there's almost a sense that it's going to get even worse. Go and take and open the scroll in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take the scroll and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will also be sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it and did taste as sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Then they told me, you must prophesy again about many people's nations and languages. Now, this idea of eating a scroll comes from Ezekiel chapter 2 and chapter 3. And there Ezekiel is given a message from God, and he writes on a scroll, he binds it up, and God says, eat it. And when he eats it, he says, it tastes sweet like honey wafers. But then it began to make his stomach feel bitter. And I think the idea that is being communicated here, and most scholars take this view, I mean, I don't even know any other view to really take it, is the idea that in some sense we're like, yes, the judgment of God. Finally, evil is going to be punished. And finally, sins are going to be dealt with. And all these empires are going to collapse. But then you see what it begins to do to real humans that you care about. And you see the consequences of their actions being unfolded on them. You see the hammer dropping on their heads, so to speak. You see the turmoil unleashes. Is your loved ones who have not accepted Christ are reaping the judgments and the anguish that brings your heart. That yes, you know this is just of God, but at the same time, this is your loved one. That becomes bitter. It becomes hard to take and hard to watch. It's like my high school kids. All year long, they're like, what are we going to do Revelation? Revelation's so cool. It's so interesting. What are we going to do Revelation? What are we going to do Revelation? And then we get to Revelations, die, 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 die. And they're like, oh. <laughs> they are. They're just like, and the bell rings because it takes more than a day to get through Revelation. The bell rings. They're like, Mr. Parker, why are you ending on such a negative note? I'm like, I didn't write this. <laughs> okay. And I didn't choose when the bell was going to ring. And then we come back the next day and it's die, 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 die. And the bell rings. And they're like, ah. Oh. And then we come back. And I think that's what it is. There is a sense that the justice of God is sweet. The righteous will bathe their feet in the blood of record, the wicked. How long, God, will you come? They praise God when Babylon falls. But at the same time, God desires that none shall perish. And he says, I long to gather you, Israel, into my arms like a mother bird gathers her chicks to her. If only you would turn back to me and repent. And he wept at the consequences of sin. And we're made in the image of God. And we're going to reflect those same tears. 
And there's this bittersweetness to the judgment of God. And which one is it? That's, that's the hard part. This is the reality of living in a fallen world. Is yes, God is just and hallelujah, praise Jesus. But at the same time, the perish are going to pass away. And we love them. And even though there's some that we might have a hard time loving them, and we want them to be hung, there's still a lot of people that we care. And even those people have a mother or a brother or sister that mourns the fact that that's not who they were when they were a kid. That's not who they were when they were a kid. And I think this is what's going on here is we still have seven more judgments. This is bittersweet. I long for the day for all this corrupt evil to be punished and the world to be made right again. But I have loved ones who may be a part of that judgment. And all of us, even if you're really, you, you grew up with a dictator, there's at a time that you remember playing ball with them and hanging out with them and having fun with them. And now they're being brought down in a horrific kind of way. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. But sin makes everything messy and complicated. Even for a righteous, perfect God that loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son so that none would perish but have eternal life. And he will bend over backwards and pursue you and move heaven and hell to redeem you into heaven. But you have a free will. You have a free will. And though when those two things come together, things get complicated and messy. Like interpreting all this.